Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Well, good morning. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life. Um, just to highlight the unwrapping gifts prophecy, the thing about the gift of prophecy is that it really is for every single person in the church. Scripture tells us that it's the sign that the kingdom error is here, that the, the Holy Spirit has come. And so it's, it's available to everybody um, and so if you're curious about that in any way, it's going to be like unwrapping prophecy like for everybody. So it's going to be a basic introduction to what prophecy is. So if that spikes your curiosity at all, I invite you um, to come to it. I wanted also to highlight uh, this last Sunday evening, we had a volunteer banquet for all the volunteers that served in the last year, 2023, and we had a great time. We eat and we hang out, we give away fun, goofy awards, and uh, we just enjoy each other. And so we... <laughs> this year we chose some medals. In previous years, we've given some like little thumbs up trophies, okay? Um, but we just enjoy celebrating our volunteers because here's the thing, our, our church runs on volunteers and you guys serve and love and give and care for the kids and make the coffee and pray for people and worship. And it's a wonderful thing that we do this together as one big team. And then we give away one uh, Volunteer of the Year Award, and that's the more serious award. And this year, we gave it to Allie, our worship leader, okay? She has done, <laughs> yeah, an incredible job um, building up our worship teams and, and inviting people in uh, that have all kinds of gifts and abilities. And we are just so proud of her and what she has done and given and been an asset to this church. So I want you to clap for her, but also for yourselves and anybody that's volunteered. So, so loud that even like the kids volunteers can hear it, okay? So, woo, good job, you guys. <laughs> Um, so thank you, volunteers. Thank you. We really appreciate it. So we are um, on this series called Come Alive, and we're nearing the end. Next week is going to be the last uh, sermon in this series. So we are on our sixth trait of um, the marks of a healthy follower of Jesus. And uh, this week, the sixth mark is breaking the power of our past. And so our teaching this morning is going to trace uh, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And I um, thought, you know, his story stretches about 14 chapters in Genesis. So I thought we could just start, I'll start the reading um, in, in Genesis 37, and I'll go all the way to Genesis 50, and that will probably take us straight to lunch, okay? Sound like a good plan? Okay, I won't bore you with, um, well, it's actually not boring at all. You should definitely go read the 14 chapters. His story could be a whole sermon series in and of itself. 
But today I'm just gonna give you the highlights. I'm not gonna read straight 14 chapters. Um, At age 17 is when Joseph started having these prophetic dreams. And instead of just pondering them to himself, which would would have been fine, he decided to share his dreams with his brothers. Now, that doesn't seem that big of a deal. If you had a prophetic dream, you would be excited to share it with somebody and maybe try to understand the meaning of it. But for Joseph specifically, this wasn't a very wise decision, okay? And here's why. Joseph was a favored son of his father, Jacob. And he was one of 12 sons. So that means as the favored son, there were 11 other brothers that were pretty much against him being the favored son. And Jacob, the father of these 12 sons, was repeating a damaging trait from his family line that he inherited. So Jacob has this family history of favoritism and jealousy, and that went back several generations. See, Abraham had a favorite son. His favorite son was Isaac, not Ishmael. And then Isaac's favorite son was Esau and not Jacob. And then Jacob comes along, and his favorite son is Joseph, and not the 10 other older sons than Joseph. And not only that, but to display his favoritism, he made Jacob this elaborate robe, right? And now this robe could have signified some early leadership potential he saw in Joseph, but it was still something that just created animosity. Imagine if I just picked out a few leaders and gave you guys some robes to wear on Sunday morning, okay? And you just walked around in your elaborate robe and just to set everybody apart, you know? How would that go over? Terrible, terrible. I mean, last Sunday, uh, Dan's sermon was about being, about love being the mark of maturity, right? So this just doesn't measure up with that kind of love. And then Joseph, he also tattled on his brothers a little bit. He, he went and looked at what they did, and then he went back to Jacob and his father, and he tattled on the things that they weren't doing quite right. So the context is really bitterness between him and his brothers and jealousy And that's the context that he decides to share his prophetic dreams. And these specific prophetic dreams were uh, symbols where Joseph is a leader and the brothers actually come down, come and bow down towards him. So you can imagine that that dream being shared to his brothers didn't go over very well, okay? Wasn't a smart choice by Joseph by any means. So, as the story goes, that when the opportunity arose, his brothers decide 
to uh, throw him in a pit and kill him. They were pretty mad at him. But instead of killing him, they relent on that part of the plan. And another opportunity comes along where they can sell him as a slave. So they take that route instead of fully uh, ending his life. And so these slave owners take Joseph to Egypt. And then the brothers, uh, they, they have to cover their tracks somehow, right? They don't want to be in trouble for this. And so they slaughter an animal, and they take Joseph's uh, ornate robe, and they dip the robe in the blood from the animal, and then bring it to their father, Jacob, to tell him that, you know, a wild animal had gotten a hold of him, and that's what happened to Joseph. Now, as Joseph is in Egypt, he actually continues to see the favor of God over his life. He continues to have this protection and favor over his life. And he finds success in what he's doing, so much to the point where um, a leader, Potiphar, um, promotes him to being overseer of his home and his household and his, and his material things. And so things are going pretty well for, for Joseph. But then Potiphar's wife is interested in Joseph and tries to seduce him, and Joseph rejects him. And because of this situation, she wants to cover it up, and, and so he gets thrown in jail unjustly. And so even in jail, he still finds this success and favor that God's presence is with him. And this, this is an overnight success. I'm trying to sum up like 12 years here, you know. I, I'm not reading all 14 chapters, remember. So it's not like overnight events that are happening. But in jail, he becomes a dream interpreter, and Pharaoh has these dreams, and he's trying to find anybody that can interpret these dreams for him. And, and Joseph says, okay, I can do it. And so he interprets these dreams for Pharaoh, and basically he foretells that there's going to be seven years of plenty, like, you know, an abundance of food and material goods, but then there is going to be a severe famine for seven years following that. And so Pharaoh is just amazed at Joseph's wisdom and his interpretation of his dreams. And so he says, I, I have to make you in command. I have to put you over this whole thing that you're uh, foretelling. And so he puts him second in charge, his right-hand man. And he says, okay, Joseph, you're in charge of making this happen. Um, prepare, for the good, for the, prepare during the good times for the severe times coming up ahead. And so it seems like Joseph is just thriving. And in this season, he gets married and he has two sons. Things are going well for him. And then we read in chapter 41, 50, verse 51, the name of his firstborn son. This is what it says. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Then 
Interesting name meaning, right? Okay, we have three girls, and we didn't reveal their names until, like, the time of their birth, because it was, you know, that's just the way we were. We wanted to, like, make sure, like, this child really, really felt like that was their name, right? So we had kind of the ones that were in in progress, and um, then when they came, we revealed their name. And we really feel like the name meaning is important. We want it to kind of speak prophetically over their life. And, you know, I think for my first two children, we actually sent out, you know, like the birth announcements. I think by the time we got to the third one, you know, things just don't happen anymore. So um, I can't even picture my middle daughter's birth announcement, but I can picture my oldest daughter's birth announcement, right? And um, so we care deeply about their name meaning. Now, imagine uh, Manasseh's uh, birth announcement going out. You know, Manasseh, six pounds, eight ounces, born in Egypt, name meeting. God made me forget all that junk. Right? That's what, that's what Joseph was doing, really mature. He didn't have the advantage of sitting here in, in this sermon on Sunday, listening about the power of his past and how God could break him free from that. No, he just, he just names his son Manasseh. God has made me forget this current success that I'm uh, experiencing. Oh, that's just going to make me forget about all the junk in my past. Joseph isn't naming his son from a redemptive standpoint quite yet. I think he's, he's just naming it how it is. He didn't talk to a therapist. He didn't come into my office and have some sessions. He didn't go to a spiritual director. He didn't work through that stuff quite yet. He's just calling it how it is. And many of us can have tendencies like Joseph, where whatever trouble we've encountered in the past, we just want to push it down and forget it and move on with our lives. Now, our past does not hinder us from receiving God's favor. We see that very clearly in this story. He still had God's presence. He still had the favor and the blessing of God. But our pasts can hinder us from living fully in the freedom that God purchased for us. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't have any farm background, just to let you know. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I didn't even grow up in central Illinois. So what I'm about to share with you, I learned from watching YouTube, specifically uh, a, channel call, a channel called Farm Basics, okay? It was, it was pretty great. So there are some areas of the country um, that are more that have more rocky soil by nature. You guys probably know that, you know, you didn't have to watch Farm Basics to learn, but I did. And so every year in some farmland, there are rocks that pop up, okay, every, every year. And so you have to some, somehow get rid of these rocks. And um, there are farmers that use equipment to dig up the rocks and get rid of them. There are some farmers that use like roller kind of equipment. So you just kind of like smush the rocks back in to the soil before planting season. 
But somehow, some way, you have to deal with these rocks that surface each year. Now, circumstances and life events are happening to us all the time and will continue to happen to us. And we can have deep emotional reactions to things that go on in our life. We can be triggered by life's events. We can experience um, emotions like, that come up like anger or desires like lust. We can be people-pleasing. We can feel jealous. We can have fear and anxiety take over. And a lot of times, those deep, big emotions that surface, they're, they're clues that something else might be surfacing as well. Some rock might be surfacing that, lead, that links to maybe a deeper emotional wound from our past. Or sometimes we just come away from childhood or from experiences with like messages, things that we believe about ourselves and that aren't necessarily true. And so we have to be healed from those. We have to break the power of those things. <clears throat> so let me illustrate just through a personal story. Um, I have a picture of me up here, I think. Okay, there. This, uh, <laughs> I was on a hike with my family, and that's actually Karis, our middle daughter, um, and she's uh, sleeping, and so Dad, Dan wanted to take a picture. Um, and so this was on a real short vacation that we took. We were living in Louisiana, and we went to a cabin in Mississippi, and we went on some hikes and things like that. So that's what we enjoy to do. Um, so anyways, you think, from this picture, all is well, life is good, I'm really happy, everything looks great, Right? But on that particular vacation, I was really struggling. Um, I had just experienced a relational betrayal before this vacation, and I was completely undone by it. I mean, I was just like obsessively turning the situation over in my mind. Like I just needed to figure out like what happened, what went wrong, how did this how am I in this situation? What am I supposed to do? It was just like that. You can't let those obsessive thoughts go. It's just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And I felt like this picture reminds me of that time because I just remember how I felt like I was barely functioning. But I still was trying to be present and happy with my family and going on a hike and all the other things. So one of my close friends was on my ministry team and kind of seemingly out of nowhere, like things just shifted in our relationship very quickly. And I started to experience this betrayal, this erosion of just being like undermined and gossiped about and um, emotionally abused. It was just like, it was just weird. And Yet, through this experience, in the middle of this experience, I didn't want to let go of the relationship. I had a really, really hard time. And like the logical conclusion, if you were in any other work environment, would just be like, okay, let that person go, like set up some boundaries, like there were some things that were wrong that happened and they need to be dealt with. Um, but I was just like so tangled up by this situation, I couldn't see straight. And I didn't want the relationship to end. I didn't know how to take her off my team. I was just 
I was a mess. And this particular situation seemed to have a lot of power over me. And that can happen where all of a sudden a situation just seems to just kind of overtake you a little bit more than like a normal situation where to go on in your life. And, and this situation was really touching an old wound for me, one in which I have experienced loss in my life, um, which leads to feelings of abandonment for me. So when I was young, I lost my mother and that has been a, a heavy loss in my life that sometimes gets triggered later on in various experiences. Those, those stones can resurface for me. And I can find myself getting really stuck emotionally in a situation. And so in this particular situation, I feared losing a connection I had with somebody that I was close to. And it really kept me from moving forward and doing the right thing and moving on. And so I, I, re, I had to come to terms with the way that I was like just giving over my power and like serving it up on a silver platter and saying, you know, just I can't function. Here you go. And so I had to have some, some conversations with my pastor and really get the support I needed so that I could make the right decisions, do the right things and, and move forward. And so I did, you know, I eventually uh, worked through the situation. I had to let her go. I had to set up some boundaries. I had to step back from the relationship. And um, later on, she had left our church for some other reasons. And yet, I still felt triggered where this situation had power over me. I would go to Target or somewhere around town, and I would know her vehicle, and I'd be like, oh, no, what if she's there? Like, what if I have to face her or talk to her, you know? And I'd be like, this still has power over me. I still have to bring it to the Lord. I still have things to work through, right? And so I eventually had to get to a place where, okay, Lord, I fully forgive. I fully release her to you, that I'm gonna be okay, even though this stuff that happened didn't get resolved. There was no restoration, um, and some situations are like that. You don't get full restoration. And you have to forgive to release the power and release the person. And, and then eventually I got to a place where I could just pray and bless her in my heart and want the, God's best for her. And then eventually when I did see her in Target, I was able to just politely, you know, say hi, how are you doing, how are your kids, without like having that emotional meltdown tantrum inside, right? You might notice these stones surfacing in your life in various situations. You know, you might have a tendency to avoid pain and conflict because maybe emotions weren't okay to talk about in your family. You might have a tendency to be triggered by criticism or failure because you might have a core wound or a message that you weren't good enough. You can seek out um, ungodly affirmation or patterns of behavior because you don't have a secure sense of being loved. We can overextend ourselves in work situations or in life because maybe you, you thought the pathway to acceptance was working, pleasing, people-pleasing. 
right? Those are messages. These are family patterns and histories that we take away from um, our upbringing. And the, the work here is to pay attention to the deep emotions that surface in our life. Pay attention to those deep things. Because paying attention to deep emotions is deeply spiritual work. It really is. When we notice our, our hurts and our pains and our failures and the messages that stem from circumstances we, we haven't fully dealt with, those, that's deeply spiritual work. That we are breaking the power of the past and the things that we've inherited from our generations so that we can give a legacy of freedom to the following generations. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You and I have the privilege of coming face to face with God. The veil has been removed. And the Spirit, who is God, does this holy work of transformation. When we bring the Spirit of God, our emotions, our wounds, our failures, he does the transformational work of breaking the power of the past because he has purchased our freedom. So back to Joseph. Joseph names his firstborn Manasseh. I'm done with the things of the past until... It surfaced. So during the years of plenty, Joseph saves and strategically plans for the years of famine. And during the years of famine, people from all over the region come to Egypt, come to him to buy grain and food. And among the people that came were Joseph's brothers. So here we're going to read in, in Genesis 42 a little bit of the story. Since Joseph was governor over all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces on the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to him, to them. Where are you from? He demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We're not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insists. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. 
So Joseph is really thrown off by this situation. He's testing them, and he throws them into jail for three days to test them even further. Like, he's just bombarded with this, I don't trust these brothers. Of course, look what they did to him. And these stones are starting to surface for Joseph. And then he tells them, oh, they can be released. They can go back with grain, but they must leave one of their brothers in Egypt as collateral. And they can only retrieve him later on if they bring the youngest brother who's at home with their father back. And his brothers start discussing this situation in their own language. They don't know that Joseph can understand them. And so they are convinced that God is punishing them for what they did to their brother all these years ago. And Reuben, one of the brothers, agrees, and he chimes in, didn't I tell you guys not to sin against him? You know, he's trying to get off in this situation, right? Even though he had just as much uh, responsibility. Now, his brothers didn't know Joseph could understand him, and when he overhears them talking about this, he is undone. He has to run away because he is overcome with emotion and he just starts weeping. So the stones are surfacing for him. Joseph sends them back on their way with all the grain that they needed, but then he secretly puts their money that they paid for the grain back into each uh, sack of grain. And so the brothers, they return and they see this money and they're, they're even more worried. They just think they're gonna get in trouble for this. And now they have to tell their father, Jacob, that their other brother, Simeon, is left behind in Egypt. And the only way to bring Simeon back is to go back again with Jacob's new favorite son, Benjamin. And the father says, no way are you guys going back. I already lost my first son, favorite son, Joseph, so he thought, and I am not taking the risk on Benjamin as well. But what about Simeon? Man, he doesn't care to go rescue Simeon, right? He's there stuck in jail. What kind of message is he getting? My father doesn't care about me. No one's coming for me. I'm the one that gets left here as the collateral for this. Now he's neglected. There's gonna be some stones for him later in life, right? So eventually the famine is bad enough that his, the father Jacob says, you guys gotta go back because we need more grain. And the, the brothers say, we can't go face the Pharaoh and Joseph because they, were, they demanded that we bring Benjamin. We can't go back unless we bring Benjamin. And so Judah, another brother, convinces the father, listen, I will put my life on the line for Benjamin. He will be my responsibility. Let us bring him back. So Jacob relents and lets them bring Benjamin with. And he sends him with all kinds of gifts and spices and double the amount of money to offer Joseph in this situation. And so when they come back, Joseph prepares to have a meal with them. And he specifically is looking for Benjamin. See, Benjamin was his only full brother. The rest are half-brothers. And Benjamin 
they're both, they're, the mother is Jacob's favorite wife. And so there's a special connection with Benjamin. And he, ha- he prepares this huge feast. The, brother, the brothers are kind of unsure why they're involved in this feast, but they are fine. And, and he finds Benjamin and he says, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And then Joseph has to run away to a room, to a closet again, because he breaks down with emotion and weeps. The stones are unturning for him, and he doesn't know what to do. And so still, he sends them back on their way again. He fills them up with as much grain as they can carry, and he tests them one more time. He decides to stash his his silver cup into one of their bags, um, like, like they stole it. And guess whose bag he puts it in? Benjamin's. So as the brothers begin their journey home, one of Joseph's managers comes running after them and accuses them. You've taken the Joseph's silver cup. And they say, no, we're innocent. We're so innocent that if you find the cup, let that person die. And who has the favored cup? Benjamin. And so they are they are so worried when they find when Benjamin is revealed as having the cup. And so Joseph, he can stand it no longer because he continues to just have this bubbling up emotion in him. And he finally just starts weeping and he's struggling and he finally reveals his identity to his brothers. And he says, it is me, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And Joseph He does all kinds of things from putting them in jail to sending them back with the money on top to the silver cup in Benjamin's um, sack to, to try to test them to see if he can really break through this situation. In reality, he just doesn't know how to move forward. But finally, he reveals his identity to them and he comes to this place of forgiving his brothers where he says, don't be upset with yourselves any longer. Don't be angry with yourselves over this situation because what, it was God who actually sent me here, not you. It was God who sent me here to preserve your lives. And so it takes Joseph a long time of moving through this situation, kind of manipulating his brothers before he finally gets to a place of forgiveness and then restoration. And so what this story shows us is to pay attention to the things that bubble up in us, the strong desires, the strong emotions, those repeated uh, behaviors, being full of anxiety, needing to control, wanting to withdraw, being angry. We all experience that. And here's the question, like Joseph, that eventually when 
after Joseph runs away and weeps, runs away and weeps, runs away and weeps, that we need to ask ourselves is who do you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to forgive? That's the question that we're leaving this message with. That we all probably need to forgive our parents at some point, even if we have a great relationship with them, even if we had a good childhood, they all fell short in some way, and we all leave childhood with some type of unintentional message. We probably need to forgive our siblings, although I get off the hook on this one because I don't, I don't have any siblings. But I am raising siblings, and I tell you, I, will, I have to forgive them for the way they treat each other. We probably need to forgive our spouses, right? Because they fall short of our expectations all the time. <laughs> I, it's our fault for having the expectations, right? We need to forgive them for not measuring up to who we think they should be. We need to forgive other people in our life. Who do you need to forgive? I'm going to uh, leave you with just a, a little exercise, a little script in our call to action. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But imagine that Joseph does this. This is how I, whenever I have like those bubbling up feelings, those bubbling up emotions where I'm getting stuck more than normal, and I ask myself, who do I need to forgive? Forgiveness means that we're just releasing them to God. We're releasing what they owe us, what we didn't receive. It's, it doesn't mean restoration happens. It doesn't mean all of our feelings are right, you know, that are restored. We might still have bad feelings, but we forgive because we, we release to God what they owe us. And so here's, here's a script for you. And sometimes I even put my hand just on my, this is like personal prayer time, I'm saying, like, put my hand on my heart, put my hand on my mind for the memories so that my body knows that I'm speaking these things and speaking this truth and releasing myself. God, this person hurt me. Like for Joseph, God, my brothers hurt me. I needed protection and connection from my brothers but I did not receive connection and protection, right? That's what good brothers would do. I forgive them for betraying me, and I release them to you. And God, I seek you for the protection and connection that I needed, because ultimately it is only God that we can go to, to with those things that we did not receive. He can give it to us. You can use that in any situation. So ask yourself the question, who do I need to forgive? And walk a prayer. Just walk this through in your mind and your heart with the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the way that you break the power of the things that keep us stuck. You paid and purchased our freedom. You broke the chains in our lives so that we can have a true and full and healed identity in you. God, show us where we still need to 
put on that new identity from you. Show us where we are stuck, where we need to release and forgive and move forward in freedom. God, I invite your spirit to come as we worship and as we sing and as we thank you for who you are. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org dot org.